Uh, I want to share a very quick story with you, um, kind of a story of cooking. It's not really about yeast, but it's about cooking. It's about roasts and hams. Maybe you've heard this one. I'm going to give it a little bit of a twist. Um, a mother is cooking, and she pulls out her roast, and she cuts off the two ends and sticks it in the pan, right? And, and one day, the daughter who had seen this done many, many times, she asked mom, well, why do you cut the tips off the roast? Well, because that's the way it's done. The daughter says, well, you know, you're wasting a lot of meat there. That's, that's, some, good, that's, some, that's some good meat there. What, why? What, did, can't you give me something other than because, mom? <laughs> so mom says, well, this is the way grandma always did it. So they got on the phone and asked grandma, grandma, why do we always cut the tips off? Well, I don't know. It's the way grandma always did it. Great grandma. Now we're like several generations back, right? And finally, they figured out, you, you, you know the end of this story, a grandma's pan wasn't, as big, wasn't big enough, so to fit the roast in the pan, she had to cut the tips off. Well, that very, very quickly turned into that's just the way we do it, right? And, and, and which quickly morphs into the rules say that you have to cut the tips off, which quickly morphs into if you don't cut the tips off, you're doing it wrong. You're bad. <laughs> and that's kind of the way legalism and rules work sometimes, right? We, we, it's, they, they start off for the good reason, and then over time we stop thinking about why we're following it, right? We take the brain portion out of it, and we just robotically do, and then finally someone comes along and says, this is dumb. <laughs> stop doing that. Stop and think. What, what, what are y'all doing? Kind of a second story related to that uh, travel guide traveling with a, a busload of travelers, some European country. And all of them had the, I don't know if you've ever traveled internationally, they tell you to put all your visa and your wallet and your money on a card, on a lander, and stick it underneath your shirt. It's very hard to get pickpocketed, right? You pretty much got to strip you to pickpocket you. And so one man was commenting, he just kind of, everyone kind of overheard him say, I have been pickpocketed four times now. And the, and the, and the tour tour operator, you know, turns to the rest of the tour crowd and says, you know, that's just the way we are. You know, some folks live and learn and some folks just live, <laughs> right? And maybe some of you know folks like our oft-victimized traveler, right? You watch and you think and you, you correctly conclude, what are you thinking, right? What were you thinking? Mom and dad, right? You look at your kids sometimes and, and I, I know you've had this thought, do you ever think, right? And then what do you do? What do you do? You send them to the corner. You send them in the room for what? Time out to do what? We want you to think about what you're doing. It's like nobody in the world thinks. You know, you arrive at that conclusion as you watch people do things. You think, come on, gray cells, have a part. The story of the traveler, right? You know, I just don't trust the new way. I'll stick to the old way, right? The way I've always done it. Paul could very well have been our random travel guide, our random tour guide. Um, let me quickly explain what's, what's known as the Galatian situation. So the people in Galatia, it's a region, it's actually several churches, the region of, in modern-day western Turkey. Um, there were several churches in Galatia. Um, and they had experienced the love of Christ, right? They had experienced the incredible love and grace of Christ. They had finally experienced, they had finally gotten rid of the fear of the law and the legal system, and they were, they were rather excited about this whole freedom that they were experiencing, right? And, and, and no fear, no guilt that's found in Christ alone. But these Judaizers, Judaizers were people who were kind of coming behind Paul 
And they didn't want to let go of the old way. They weren't 100% against the new way, but they had kind of decided, well, if you want to go this new way, you still got to participate in the old way. You got to do all the things that we've always done traditionally. If you want to go for Jesus, whatever. Because Jesus really didn't break. He, he wasn't starting a new religion. He, he was trying to explain to the people, hey, you, you've kind of gone off track just a little bit. Let me, let me help you. Let me, let's, let's think through this, right, and, and arrive at a different conclusion here. Um, and, and basically we're saying, basically, if you don't follow tradition, right, do the things that we've always done them. And I know there are some young ones present, circumcisions, we're not going to mention that anymore. Um, even this Jesus fellow won't be able to help you, right? You, you got to do the things that we've always done. Um, if the new converts to Christ would just keep cutting the tips off, <laughs> veiled language there, young kids, um, everything would be wonderful, but Paul warns him, right? If you have any part in the legal system, if you have any part in legalism, not in the legal system, if you have any part in legalism, if you let any part of legalism infect your faith, it's not going to be good. You might as well just toss the whole thing into the kitchen trash. Paul's very explicit. So if you're Homer, go home and read this to get the full, the full. Uh, starting in verse 1, chapter 5, it says this, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We had this read earlier. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And then jumping to verse 7, verses 2 through 6 are your homework. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you? To, I, I did not make that up, right? You can't make this stuff up. This is Paul writing this stuff. Again, go home and check out what we're talking about here. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. And then this statement, so very, very appropriate for the Lenten season. Verse 9, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. And Dan was showing us this up there this way. Um, and hopefully those take-homes, the yeast does work its way through, and it doesn't just become a big, sticky, stinky mess. Um, so <laughs> we'll pray for you. Um, but the Jewish people equated yeast generally with, and again, leaven, because uh, that was just the way they didn't, they didn't use the little yeast. They had, they had the leaven, and that, that was the phrase. Doesn't really matter. Um, the idea is that it permeates, just like Dan was saying, and I didn't know this either. It's, it's in the air, right? And you leave the lid off because these, this bacteria, really, it's like everywhere. And what Jesus is saying is the evil influences of this world, it's like in the air we breathe. You go out those doors and people, conversation will change just a little bit from the conversations you hear inside this building, right? Inside this building, you constantly hear hopefully about love and giving and generosity. You go out there and you're going to hear different words. You're going to hear about power and rights, you know, and my rights and, and law and a very different conversation. And out of these two different conversations, two sets of habits tend to form, we're going to get, about, get into that in just a little bit. But the, the influence, this is the kicker, the influence of the yeast of evil, right? It's everywhere. It permeates the air we breathe. Scripture says that the prince of, this, of darkness kind of has a little bit of power in this world. God, God has granted him a little bit of leeway. And so, right, we, we are affected by that. And Paul was telling the Galatians that just a little bit of that old way of thinking, right, using the law and legalism to beat people up and to control them and make them... You know, tell them if they're good or bad. It's just really a control issue. Um, that has no part in God's kingdom. That kind of power play? No. That, that ends with God's kingdom. Legalism and fear and coercion contaminates faith. Just like a horrible, unstoppable virus. This is what these things do. 
And in this letter to the Galatians, Paul is basically putting them on timeout, right? He's telling them, hey, just, just stop for a minute. Just stop. Let's, let's, let's think this through. And he does. He kind of walks them through those passages and he explains to them, right? Look, you had this old way of life and it was horrible. You have this new way of life. Don't get dragged back in. Think about what these people are asking you to do. Think it through. Think it through. <clears throat> Don't let the influence and thought patterns or habits of that world out there influence you. And in fact, that's why we have the Lenten season, and that's why God built all these systems, these, these rhythms into our life, so that we spend some time out there, and then yet we got to come back in and get healed and get cleaned up and recenter our thinking and refocus on what we really need to be focusing on, and then we go back out there and kind of do battle just a little bit. Scripture says it is, it's a spiritual battle, kind of crazy. But all around us, people talk about it. Again, money, power, laws, rights, and, and then they form habits, right? Thought patterns, patterns of thought and action. And we habitually, now listen to this, we habitually think and talk about two forms, two kinds of habits. Just by sheer repetition, two, two different kinds of habits form. The first kind, I'm just going to call unreflective, unthinking habits. These are those habits that you just start doing over and over again, and you don't even realize it. Social media has become one of those things, and they now have all these apps to tell you, do you realize what you're doing? <laughs> I've said, what? How many minutes? So you got all that kind of going on, and, and, and this idea of just habitually doing something over and over and over again, you know, kind of like our weary traveler and several generations of cooks, and what we're going to find out this morning is the disciples are kind of in that same boat, right? They're, they're kind of seeing stuff, but they're not making the connections, right? They're not connecting the dots. They're not making kingdom sense of what they're physically seeing and feeling. And Jesus, is, he's, he's going to get a little exasperated, but you're going to understand. It's going to make absolutely total sense. Um, but again, this first kind of habit, just doing the same thing over and over and over again without really thinking about it, is not really actually learning, I, I, I'm a school teacher. I spent 14 years in the classroom. I, I kind of dug back into some books I had and to kind of make sure I'm saying the right thing. Um, but it, it just screamed at me. The best way to learn is from experience, but experience is not enough. Right? You've heard the story. The man goes to the older man in the company. How do I gain experience? Or how do I, yeah, how do I gain experience? Well, you make mistakes. Well, how do I make mistakes? Well, you buy experience. And it's this horrible cycle, but if the story continues, it's going to cycle down because never in the story does the man stop and think, why did I make that mistake so that I don't experience it again? See, that's what learning does. It improves the next outcome. It's a little bit better than the last time. Otherwise, you're not learning. You're just kind of staying dull. Right? That, that, that's kind of what learning is. Um, educator John Dewey wrote this like over 100 years ago. Still, the cornerstone of quality learning today says this, thinking is the intentional endeavor to discover specific connections between something which we do and the consequences which result so that the two become continuous, right? Our convictions are shown in our actions, and it gets to the point where it becomes, and it wasn't this way at the beginning, it was very, very thought out, but it becomes, you don't even need to think about it. You see somebody in need, and you just meet the need. You just, you just meet the need, muscle memory almost, we need to reflect on our experiences to encourage learning and personal development. Experience itself is simply not enough. And so then we have this second kind of habit, right? I've kind of alluded to it. We have an unresponsive, unreflective, excuse me, and then we have a reflective habit. Those habits that we th think about 
and we decide, I want a better outcome, so I'm going to start doing this each morning before I get up. I'm tired of being late. I'm tired of getting yelled at, so I'm going to change something. I'm going to go back, and I'm not just going to keep repeating it because that just makes bad habits unreflective. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to ponder. I'm going to meditate. Why is my wife always angry when I do this? (laughs) Stop and think about it. Stop and think about it. The consequences in order to make a better decision next time, which can then become the basis for a whole new set of habits that you'd actually thought about and and that will move you to where you want to be. If you've been in the military, right, you're going to understand this. You're going to understand this, right? The power of the debriefing, right? In the heat of battle, man, there's a lot of things going this way that's been explained to me. I've never been in the heat of battle. (laughs) Well, my wife, no, no, anyway. In the haze of battle, right, a lot of things get missed. So the deeper learning occurs actually in the debriefing. They get everybody sat down, everybody takes a deep breath, and some teachers come in who see and notice things that even the most dedicated soldier that so wants to learn, he simply doesn't have the experience to notice. So the experienced teachers come in, and in the heat of the battle, did you notice this? Did you notice? And the whole idea of this debriefing is for them to analyze all the decisions they had made so that they experience this the next time, they'll make a better set of decisions. And they'll, they'll analyze that next set of decisions, they'll practice them, and they'll evaluate them. Is this what we want our soldiers to do the next time? This is kind of what church is to you all and, and your small groups and your Bible studies. You go through life and then sometimes you just decide, I need to walk beside somebody who's maybe one chapter ahead of me. Maybe a Sunday school teacher, a small group leader. They don't even have to be more spiritually wise than you, but they've, they've read a chapter ahead of you. And, and they invite you to your house or the, the classroom on a Sunday morning. We're going to have those back, starting back up. And, and you begin to, and the teacher begins to point out some things that you really had never thought about maybe. The value of the debriefing. And why was it so important, especially in the military, to do a better job next time? a matter of life and death. If you're a soldier, right, and you saw a mistake, you're thinking, I hope they fix that mistake the next, before I go out next time. Please, please fix that mistake because I don't want to be the one that gets shot this time. My buddy got shot last time. Let's think about this. Let's think about this. It's a matter of life and death, and it's no less so with our faith that we actually ponder and sit and take the time to think about what Christ is saying to us. We kind of have a habit we've developed in our modern world, and I'm not, I'm, at the end of my message, I'm going to challenge you to move, to add to this. Like, I, Bible memorization is great. Daily devotions are great. But there's something about spending a huge amount of time on simply a passage and just meditating on it. Probably the biggest thing that I'm worried about, I, I'm, I'll be 60 this summer, so we're, we're, we're talking about, well, Jerry, what are you going to do when you retire? You can't hang around here and bug me, so fuck, what are you going to do? And, and the, my biggest fear, let me, let me back up, my, I feel the greatest gift from God to me when I answered the call to be a preacher, and I didn't recognize this at the beginning, was the fact that I now got to spend, I got paid to do this, 20 or 30 hours a week on a passage. 
on a single passage. And at the beginning, I was like, man, I'm going to have five minutes of worth to say, right? But then you start digging into it, and I kid you not, my cutting room floor is just filled with stuff. It's just filled because on, on Thursday, Friday, I got to start cutting stuff. You know, everything I've researched, I, I got to start making decisions. And a lot of stuff just, just gets dumped onto the floor. Don't know why I went into all that. That's why I have notes. Keep me, keep me focused. Um, so again, in Mark chapter 8, we have this incredible exchange between uh, Jesus and his disciples. And at first glance, it appears that Jesus is really being mean, right? He, he's just, he, he sounds like an angry parent <laughs> just a little bit, um, but maybe not, right? The disciples are just having trouble connecting the dots. And I think Jesus understands something that, that we don't even understand about ourselves and the disciples simply didn't understand, but Jesus is about to teach them. He's about to show them something, not a truth necessarily, but a kind of a habit, I guess. Um, I'm going to start in verse chapter, chapter 11, verse 8, chapter 8, verse 11 of Mark. It says this. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. Let me back up. He had just fed 4,000 people. While earlier he had just fed 5,000 Jewish people, now he had just read, fed 4,000 Gentiles, which were non-Jewish. So those, those things have just happened. And he gets in a boat, and he kind of, kind of tried to get away from the crowd, but the Pharisees followed. So the Pharisees came, and they began to question Jesus because they, they were hoping to trap Jesus, right? They, they really weren't looking for information. <clears throat> to test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. And again, Jesus had just fed the, you know. And the disciples, you, know, you think about it, the disciples, they, they, they get to see all the signs, and they still don't get it. But the Pharisees, they want even more signs. You notice the disciples aren't asking, show us more signs, show us more signs. Like, they're like, we don't even understand what you're doing. <laughs> Do more explaining than showing. But the Pharisees, they just want to show. And I, and I get the impression that they're not looking for information, right? They want more signs because they don't want to get it, right? They just keep showing me signs, Jesus, and, and eventually we're going to trap you. I don't care if you make the sun stand still. I'm not, we're, we're just not going to believe you because we really don't want to know because you're going to take away our power, we don't, we don't want to have any part of you, Jesus, because you're going to threaten our power. So they really don't want to know. And so Jesus, he knows this, and he responds. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. And then he left, got back in the boat, and crossed over to the other side. And again, this generation, it's not like it's this generation Mark is referring to the a generation of people who thought the old way and we're having trouble accepting the new way, okay, this generation, right? So again, this incredibly kind of strange metaphor he's, he's going to kind of dig into here. Um, Pharisees weren't looking to learn. They were just looking to stop any further learning. So Jesus then turns to his disciples, right, the ones that really want to know and they're, 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 they're the real searchers. Um, but they're having trouble, right? They're having trouble connecting the dots. And it says this, verse 14 and 15, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf that they had with them in the boat. To which Jesus replies, be careful, he warns them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Now, again, you look at this passage in that first sentence, the disciples forgot about the bread except the one loaf. It's, just, it, it's Mark kind of being a narrator. He's moving the story along, but it's such a strange transition, right? Normally, when Jesus says something about, you know, like yeast, what, what do the disciples always ask? Hey, explain, 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 Jesus, explain. They don't do it this time. 
right? They're just, there's too much going on. I don't know what's going on, but they just miss it entirely, right? And, and they're, they're, they're focused on, on the bread, right? Something Mark is trying to tie the two feedings before for the reader to understand, you know, that he's about to provide for them. And, and, and some scholars think that it's the ultimate irony, right? The, the disciples, we have no bread, and then the bread of life is standing like right in front of them. So, so I don't know where, where you land. Again, the scholars are kind of all over the place on that one. Um, but again, right, incredibly ironic. No bread, but living bread sitting right in front of you. Either way, once again, the warning is to beware of the influence of coercive power, the yeast of the Pharisees, or the yeast of Herod, and the legalism, which was the feast of the Pharisees. But the disciples like us many times, they just weren't connecting the dots. Verse 16, they discussed with one another and said, is it because we have no bread? Like they're just absolutely clueless, right? Have you ever sat in a room and everybody gets it but one person, right? And everybody in the room's getting a little bit exasperated. The guy up front's getting really exasperated and nobody's really angry. The person that doesn't get it is normally a very, very sharp person, but there's just... They're not connecting, right? And you get this impression that this is happening right now, but it's kind of flip-flopped, like the whole class doesn't get it, and the teacher is just like, breathe, breathe. These Zoom days will be over soon, right? And then I can, uh, uh, and, and, and he's, he's just kind of stressing out, just, just a little bit, a little bit exasperating. Um, and then really this is the theme of Mark's gospel, kind of beginning to unfold that people simply don't understand Jesus. They don't understand who he is and what he's about. So there's all this misunderstanding surrounding Jesus, and and Mark kind of plays this theme out in his gospel. Again, knowing this, Jesus doesn't even bother to address the metaphor. He could have gone back to the yeast and and everything, and he finally is like, oh, my goodness, these, <laughs> they're not getting even my parables and my metaphors that are really, really, really easy. So he just stops and he starts, he just point blank. He just starts asking questions right, 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 in, right in their face. Um, and again, you, you first read this and you think, man, he's being, being really mean. But it's really, I, I get the impression it's intense, really intense debriefing session, right? Ugh. He gives up everything else and he's just going to, he's going to probably give his most direct clues to them about who he is, about kingdom principles that they keep missing. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked him, why are you talking about having no bread? It's like, ugh. So instead of asking Jesus to explain the most recent statement, right, they miss the point entirely. There's a video I watched recently on, I, I think I shared this with you a while ago. Um, the video is um, Count the Dancing People. And they're all in black and white, like these outfits that make you really look hard at them because the background is kind of black and white tunes. So you're counting the people, counting the dancers as the video goes through. It's about a 15-second video. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine, ten, ten, ten. You click next. And the caption is, but did you see the bear? And I replay. No, you know, honestly, this is not a trick in video. You replay it. And right behind your eyes as you're trying to count them, because we all read left to right, right? So the, the people know that you're focused on this. And right behind, there's, there's a, literally a dancing bear walking between the people. I'm like, no way, this is a fake video. There's no way I missed that dancing bear, but I did because I was so focused on something else. And really, I think this is what's happening in the disciples and a lot of times in our own life. We get so focused on our own physical needs and hurts and pains and, and glories and so forth that... We just can't see past that. We can't see anything else, anybody, anybody else. So hyper-focused on the 
physicalness of the recent events, they entirely missed the spiritual significance and the deeper learning that Jesus was really driving at. So Jesus stops everything. He kind of puts the disciples on timeout, right? Just, okay, just everybody just stop and think for a minute, right? Put the oars away. Just stop. And he asks both them and us a series of questions, really rapid fire, right? The first group is the rhetorical questions, right? They're the questions your mom and dad ask you, but they don't want you to answer because you're going to get in more trouble, <laughs> right? So these are like four or five questions really, really fast, and they're all kind of basically, right, the same thing. Do you still not see and understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember, right? right? Boom, 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 boom. Right? And, and again, if you look at these questions very, very carefully in the way they're worded, the movement of the five question kind of, if at first glance, kind of, kind of um, discouraging, right? But, it, but as you look at it, are you still? Right? So it's almost like God in these questions, Jesus in these questions, he's leaving, leaving room for them to grow. He's leaving a little bit of wiggle room for them to realize we get it now, Jesus. Our bad, our bad. We get it, we get it, we get it, right? He gives, us, he gives them just this, this little bit of room, like this hardness of heart thing. It's only temporary, right? Jesus wasn't done with them yet, and he's not done with you. Sometimes you think, man, I must have a hard heart. No, God's working with you. He's working with you. Don't give up. You might feel a little hard-hearted about situations, about certain ministries, so forth. You know what? Don't beat yourself up. God's still working with you. Give him a chance. Then Jesus asked some questions that he expects an answer from, right? He wants the disciples to answer now. So now he pauses, and he gives them kind of a stink eye, right? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basket pieces did you pick up? Now, I don't know how they answered this question, but in my mind, there's one of two ways. 12, right? Because they're just asking, we have no bread, we're hungry. And Jesus is like, 12. Or, or I, I feel like they went like this, 12. Jesus is like, what? 12. A little louder, class can't hear you, 12! <laughs> right? Because they know they just asked such a silly question. He's like, and, and he does it to them again. He says this, when I broke the seven loaves, like just the other day, for 4,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you pick up? Seven. Huh? What? Seven. What? Huh? Seven! <laughs> I love it. Now, again, seven and 12 both represent abundance, you know, and uh, fullness and wholeness, completeness to the Jewish people. So the message is they can't miss it, right? When Jesus is there, and, and, and notice this. This is incredible. He's not asking them, do you remember how many people I fed? That, that's not the question. Do you remember the miracle? It's not the question. His question was, how much was left over? Now, that's crucial. That's absolutely crucial. How many was left over? Don't be amazed at what I can do. Be amazed at my influence on people. What happens to people when I'm in their presence? They open up their pockets. They open up their pocketbooks. They open up their little food baskets, and everybody begins to share, and it becomes this incredible banquet where everybody had been stingy and selfish. It's like, did you all notice what happened when I was there? And then the final question is kind of just left hanging in the air. Do you still not understand? Do you still, you still not understand who I am? Do you still not understand how dangerous 
the attitude and the influence of the Pharisees and Herod is, do you not see the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world? They don't, they're mutually exclusive. You can't have a foot in both. It's not going to work. And again, it's easy to make the disciples out to be dull school children. Right? It's like, come on, disciples. Golly. But let's turn the questions around. How often have you witnessed abundance and grace an amazing God in a worship service, and then you go back to work or you go back home or you go back on social media and you realize, whoa, a little temporary amnesia there. I kind of forgot about how good God was. I'm looking at my words, whoa, 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 whoa. And we do. We just kind of forget. We leave the building and we, we leave the thoughts here and we go back out there and we're immediately all that yeast and all uh, floating around in the air, right? And we we're just kind of inundated and guys like, come back, come back, come back. Don't leave without me. Don't leave without me. Spend some, t- some serious time with me. Our fears and our anxieties rush to the forefront, right? Mentality of scarcity takes over. We're not enough. There's not enough. There's too much evil in the world. Can we really do anything? To which Jesus replies, do you still not understand? Do you still not get it? We have God's kingdom. We have this myth scarcity. The bread of Jesus is plentiful. There's no shortage in God's kingdom if we don't hoard. Jesus is extending grace, right? Grace is that which God wants to give us through ordinary means, like a loaf of bread and a cup of juice, in ways that we don't fully understand, right? The means of grace through ordinary means. Right, this feeding kind of has that, 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 idea, that idea behind it. Jesus is proclaiming a kingdom of inclusion, a kingdom that includes everybody. There was a great feeding, and there was plenty left over when I fed you, the Jewish people, and there was a great feast, and we had a great time, and there was tons of left over when I fed the Gentiles. My grace is not just for you Jewish people. It's for everybody I'm including everybody. The yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod kind of stand in stark contrast. Theirs is a kingdom of exclusion, right? If you don't measure up, you don't get in and you don't belong. If you're not as good or you don't follow the rules, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't, you're excluded. You're not a part of us. So some very quick suggestions before heading home to kind of improve our spiritual memories. Uh, This is an article I read. I don't know who it was. Um, Never read the name, but it's some website, and I kind of adapted it just a little bit. Um, and don't you remember, and she, she just gives five little suggestions, and maybe you guys do this. You're only, you've heard of the five-minute journal, right? A series of questions that you deal with either in the morning or in the evening, questions like, um, I'm grateful for what today, right? What will I do today to make tomorrow even better? Daily affirmations, I am this, I am loved, I am forgiven, you know. Uh, God sightings for the day. Remember Bob Loon, Pastor Bob always talked about that. That was great. You know, what can I do differently tomorrow to make it an even better day? So this, this is five-minute journal kind of thing. Uh, second idea, journaling, right? This lady suggests that she just keeps this little notebook. And all day long, she just writes little notes. Anything that she feels is a spiritual thing, she makes the connection. And she makes it with her hand on paper, and it makes it kind of go into her head, and, and, it, and, it, and she remembers it, right? And then finally, just walking, right? We, we, when we walk, this wasn't my suggestion, although I buy into this one entirely. When we walk, we're, we kind of, are, our minds are allowed to free associate, 
right? When we're at a task, it, it's, it's very, you know, trying to do this. Um, but when we walk outside, everything that we've been, or when we walk, right, everything that we've been kind of dealing with has, is, is given room to kind of come back into our heads, right? And our brains are always trying to make patterns. That's the way our brains work. And our brains then start making connections, right? My wife and I, when we walk, we, we discover things, about each other, sometimes not good, sometimes really good, but, but because we're free and we don't have, there, there's not all the distractions in the house and we get to really focus on what's important. So just, just daily walks. So during Lent season, your Heavenly Father, again, extends a sacred invitation to you to just compare the two kingdoms, to think about, stop, ponder, Scripture calls it meditation. Just hang out on a passage for a really long time. Don't feel like you got to get through the read through the Bible in a year. Great goal, but I'm just leaning more and more into Bible study. Right? Just kind of, kind of digging, digging into it. Um, if we don't stop and we don't ponder, we 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 miss some incredible truths. Despite saying that we want to follow Jesus, we want to be His disciples, we often forget. Right? That our food should be the bread of life. That should be our biggest concern and not the bread baked with the yeast of the Pharisees or Herod. So my final question to you this morning is which, whose bread, not which bread, whose bread do you feast on? The bread of life? The bread of power? You have options. And Christ is just saying, look, stop and think about it and you will arrive at the right conclusion because my spirit will help you. But you got to stop. Just stop and focus on me for a little while. Y'all bow your heads. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for the, these stories that Mark wrote, and he lined them up in just a particular order so that we could see this unfolding theme of incredible love and grace and expansion and inclusion. Father, that we, as the rich and church of the Nazarene, that, that we would find our way into that story that years and years and years from now, our children and our grandchildren talk about back in the day, back in the day. Father, we, we pray for back in the days. Thank you for Richland Church of the Nazarene, for back in the day and for the future day because you haven't stopped working with us. You're not done yet. You're the perfecter of our faith. Father, thank you. In your son's name I pray. Amen.